starting from zero, episode 32, from high school dropout to productized email marketing service with John McIntyre of reengager.com. You're listening to the Starting From Zero podcast, where we interview successful bootstrap founders to find out how they made it and how you can too. If you'd like to learn more about what it really takes to start a legitimate online business from zero, come check us out at startingfromzero.co. Hello, self-funded founders, and welcome to the Starting From Zero podcast. This is your host, Max Breckbill, and today I'm interviewing John McIntyre of reengager.com. John is also known as the autoresponder guy. He's a pro when it comes to email marketing and building autoresponder sequences for especially e-commerce companies and online retailers. And um, I'm really excited to have him on the show. He was recommended by a mutual friend, Till Carlos, and um, I'm, I'm really happy to have had that connection from Till. Thank you. Um, John, welcome to the show. Max, it's good to be here, man. It's good to have you on the show. So you've, uh, you've got a lot of publications and a lot of um, online publications. Um, you're, you're in Forbes, you're in entrepreneur.com. Um, so it seems like you, you've really established yourself as somebody, as a bit of an expert in the space. So I'm really looking forward to talking to you about, about email marketing and so on. Um, but before we get into all that, let's, um, let's dig back a little bit into the, the founding story, how you first got started in entrepreneurship. So if you, if you look back into your memory archive, so to speak, what is the earliest memory that you have related to entrepreneurship? Uh, this is going to make a long way. I was in high school and uh, trying to drop out. I, mean, I think I did drop out of high school. Trying to drop out of high school. Trying to drop out. And well, I just think about it. Do I do it? Do I not? Uh, didn't want that whole like normal life. Eventually went through with it though, and that whole year, 2007, uh, fiddled around with stuff online and was trying to make money, trying to figure out a way to, to do it online so I didn't have to have a job. Uh, and that was where it started. Mm-hmm. So let me ask you real quick, um, what, what was it about high school that you were trying to drop out so hard? I, the way I saw it was, was everyone was going, you know, the, the, the story of life was that you got a high school and then you finish high school, you go to college and you get a degree, then you get married, you have kids, you do your job for a while, maybe you have a few jobs, eventually you retire and uh, you die. And, and for some reason, just that path, that normal um, path of living, just, and it's, it's funny, like even now, you know, I still have that same sort of anxiety around it, but it just didn't, it, it just wasn't what I wanted to do. And so to me, staying at school meant, you know, like, if I wasn't going to go to university, it didn't seem any, you know, didn't make any sense going to um, staying in school. So, yeah, that was the logic. That was basically it. Okay. And so you already knew that you didn't want to go to university and maybe school was a little bit boring for you. You were not feeling challenged or, I don't know, was there anything else in there? So school was, like, for me, like, uh, it wasn't, I guess it wasn't that challenging. It just, I just remember finding it very hard to, you know, to connect with what we were doing. Um, You you know, when I try, when I made an effort, when I, you know, applied myself, it was always fine. I usually did pretty well. But, but maybe that was part of it. Maybe, maybe school just wasn't, you know, wasn't challenging, whatever. Maybe it was a different, you know, different learning style. Because since then, you know, it's never been that I don't like to learn. I love reading. I love learning. I'm very uh, intellectually curious. So, you know, school just, you know, I was one of those people that school just wasn't for me, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's, there's, a, long, there's a long history of, of successful entrepreneurs for whom school was, was not for them. Um, so that makes complete sense. So, um, so you, you quit school. And actually, before we, before we get into what you did first, um, you know, do you have any, did you have any entrepreneurial role models in your, in your history, in your family nearby somehow? Not really. Um, my dad... Dad's an architect, and he's always worked at home. You know, growing up, he was always at home running his own. You know, I think remember at one stage he had a couple of employees working for him, but he scaled that back at some point just because he, he didn't want to build it up that way. And um, 
so I suppose that he wasn't, I wouldn't really call him, I suppose he says like a, you know, an entrepreneur in a sense, but, but definitely more of, you know, the self-employed type. Um, apart from that, not really, you know, for me, it was always, it was almost born out of necessity. Like I, I didn't grow up, you know, selling Pokemon cards or, or doing things like I didn't grow up when I was 13 years old and have this entrepreneurial thing. Uh, it was almost like, uh, it was like, well, I don't want to have a job and I don't want to have that normal life. So I'll figure out this business things. If I can figure that out, then I don't need to go and have that normal life. Um, so that's sort of, that's sort of where it came from for me and, and my heroes, at least getting started, like I think it took me a while to figure out sort of where I fit. Fit. I'm still figuring out now, but but really t- took a while to figure out who I really looked up to in that sense. Because um, no one in my family was like that. Everyone was, you know, mum's a nurse. The rest of the family are all very traditional. I grew up in a very religious family too. So, and if I stayed, in, I'm not involved in any of that anymore. But but if I stayed there, I you know would have probably become a pastor. Uh, that was almost the. I was yeah. That was the trajectory I was on. That I that I think everyone was sort of. Wow. Hoping that I was going to go down that so, road. So, so were you day. like that? Were you like the youngest son in a in a previously Irish Catholic was, family, or what? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> no. I've heard about this, right? And and there's a priest in every family in Ireland, and no, I, I don't know what I think. I was just I grew up there, and and I had a um, I always seemed to end up in these leadership roles when I'd be you know leading things or speaking or you know stuff like that, and um, you know thinking differently about the whole thing, and that's just you know when I was going to church and Bible study and youth group and all of that, that's where. That was the direction that was going in, um, and other people, the other people at church and at these places, they were were. I think they saw that in me, and they wanted me to become, you know, some kind of leader, you know, even a pastor, one day. But um, but something in you didn't really vibe with that one hundred percent, and um, and you felt like there was something else that was necessary to be done. So so you quit, you dropped out of school after trying very hard to drop out. You finally made it, and then um, <laughs> <laughs> and then um, and then what did what did you first get involved with? Uh, at first, it was just, I think I had some Squidoo websites. I was trying to do, you know, it's just like internet marketing. It's just classic internet marketing stuff. This is real old school um, going and setting up like a, a, I think I can't remember what it was called on Squid. Squidoo was like a content site. Hub, hub, what was it? Hub pages was another one. And so you'd go and write this 500 word or this 1,000 word post on how to learn guitar. And then you'd put links to, um, you know, like an affiliate products, that sort of thing. And then you try and rank it in Google. So that was sort of how things got going. And did you have any success there in the early days? It was very slow success, and and you know it's funny that year because I did it for about um, I did it until about September or October, and um, that year, so about nine or ten months, and from memory, I made about eight hundred dollars uh, in the you know throughout the year. So what well, not really enough to live on, and I had a job throughout that time. I remember I went to um, TAFE to do uh, web design, and uh, TAFE is like a community college there, as you know, as a way sort of a you know, it's not university. It's not that big of a deal. It's just something we can go get some skills. So I went there to do web design. The whole thing was way too slow. So I, you know, while I was doing that, I was trying to do this money, you know, make money online thing, and eventually dropped out of this TAFE, this community college, because it was, like I said, too slow. Um, and kept trying to do the online thing on my own, and, and like I said, made about eight hundred dollars that year. And but around uh, sep- I think it was about September, I just turned eighteen, which is the the, the age when you're al- allowed to um, you buy alcohol, basically. And uh, I got my tax back. So I had a tax return, you know, a big chunk of money that came in. I remember at the time, all my friends just turned 18 and then it became basically party time. And so for the next two or three years, I was, you know, playing guitar in bands and, um, you know, going out and partying. And that was sort of, I basically forgot about business and forgot about, to be honest, I didn't even think about it as business back in the day. It was just a way to make some money. And, um, but around that time, that was when I got distracted and, and went and partied a whole bunch. And that was sort of what I did for the next three years before picking it up again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
It's an important phase, though. I mean, if you don't do that, then then you're always. I feel like if you don't do it when you're young, you'll have to do it when you're later. So, so you got the parting out of the way for a couple of years, and then um, what was your what was your first serious project after that? Well, I was working at a uh, call center, and I remember how it happened. How this happened? I took the four hour work week, the book to uh, to work one day, and I was sitting next to a, a, a good friend now who back then we didn't really know each other, but I took in the four hour work week, and this guy leans over, he's like, "Oh, what's that?" And um, he was interested. He, he has a read, you know, give, give it to him and have a bit of a flick through it while we're at work. And uh, the end of the shift comes, like, man, I need to take this home. Can I take this with you, please? Let me take this with me. He takes it home with him. And then that sort of started me and him around that time. I, I don't remember what started first, but we both started talking about business and having these ideas and let's do this, let's do that. And uh, around that time, started a uh, my own sort of authority website on healthy juicing. It was called Healthy Juicing. And it's still online too, I think. I uh, sold it a little while back, um, but healthy-juicing.com. And it's about, you know, it's got juicing recipes, articles on the benefits of pineapple and the benefits of orange juice and all these different things. And so uh, here you go. Yep, the signs, website's all still up there. So it's still rocking. And uh, did that for, you know, while I was at the call center and everything like that and built that up into, uh, I think at its highest point, it was doing about $400 a month with AdSense, just a pretty basic. And, uh, and that was in 2010-ish, I think where it got to that point. 2011, I went to Nepal for four months, I went trekking, did some volunteering and a bunch of different things like that. And um, came back from there in May 2011 and use that site to then get myself a job doing uh, SEO for a large online retailer in, in Sydney. I was doing that for three or four months and eventually got so bored of that that it started looking online. I, you know, I knew these people made money in, online and I knew there was people out there that did that, made money online and, and lived these crazy lifestyles and I still knew that I wanted to figure that out at some point. And so I you know, started you know, obviously wasting time at work and listening to podcasts and that led me to the Lifestyle Business Podcast, which uh, the tropical was by Danny. MBA, yeah? Tropical MBA, that, that's what it's called now. And um, when I was on there, I found a post on their website that said something like live and, uh, live and work in the Philippines for free. And that was all about how they were offering this basically job in the Philippines to go live on an island and do the marketing for a resort there for um, you know, four months or yeah, basically for four months to start with. And in exchange for working for them, you get a free room and some free food. And so that was how it that was how it started and uh, applied for that. It was funny actually because at the time I didn't apply. I was like, there's no way I'm going to get that. Yeah, I think we do. I did what we all do, which is like, no, nah, that's not for me. I'm not going to get that, blah, blah, blah. And then uh, eventually I uh, I remember listening to a song by Eminem at the time, this whole, you know, it's called Airplanes Part 2. Mm. And uh, it's a big life. <laughs> big life do you know changing. No, I don't actually, but. Okay. Well, the song the song's about Eminem's got this verse. It's not really his song, but he's got this sort of, um, verse that he does at the end sort of he's like he's like a feature um and he comes on and he, he sings his verse about you know what if i'd just given up what if i'd uh you know hadn't cared what if i hadn't um you know had all the excuses in the world you know bad family no friends at schools beaten up like on and on and on like that and uh, i remember listening to that and it just sort of kept hitting deeper and deeper I was like oh, screw it i'm gonna go apply for this uh, job philippines and so it's funny as soon as i applied i had this weird sense that oh, it's done i've gotten it and um, a few days later, I got the call and I was off to the Philippines. So. Nice. And so then, and so you saw this job in the Lifestyle Business Podcast for this job offer. You applied for it. You got there. And um, were you actually working with those guys at some point or, or was that just exclusively working for this resort? It was just for the resort. So basically, Dan, 
Um, it sounds like you've heard of. So Dan is friends with, uh, you know, obviously spent a lot of time in the Philippines, met a guy named Sean. Sean owns a, a bunch of beach resorts in the Philippines and Sean's always looking for, you know, people, smart people to come in and help him out with the website and getting more customers in and all that sort of thing. So that's where I came in. So I go in there and I turn up in the Philippines. I meet Dan, I, I meet Sean and uh, a few other people. We go down to the islands and then I'm there for the next, I ended up being there for the next year uh, doing that, working with Sean. So to, you know, manage the website, you know, manage the um, relationships with the booking providers that we had, like Agoda and Expedia, and just make sure that people were, you know, obviously showing up to the resort. And that was my job. So, it, like, throughout that time, I probably I did a little bit of work with Dan, but primarily it was with Sean just doing the resort stuff for the year. Mm-hmm. Cool. So how did you how did you then make the take the next steps? Um, what, what came in between getting getting out of the of the nine to five, leaving the call center, and um, you know getting this first more entrepreneurial kind of job? It seems like I mean I guess you were working for room and board, but I mean obviously you were investing in your education at that point and and in your you know in in your mindset I guess a little bit like living living abroad. Um, how did you get from there to what you do today? How this transitioned at first was. I, so I still had the juicing site, right? The idea was that I turn up in the Philippines and this juicing site, which is doing about $400 a month, was like, I'm going to build that into something that it'll do two, three, five, ten thousand $10,000 a month. And then I'll be able to live on that and go off traveling and have the whole lifestyle thing. But a week after I arrived, one of Google's uh, classic updates came through. One of the, I think it was a Google Panda update. And uh, the site wiped out like that. And my, you know, little $400 a month, that behemoth of a business was uh, destroyed in, you know, overnight. And uh, I went from making, it sounds funny now, but it went from making $400 a month to $100 a month. Well, yeah, I mean, and, 400, uh, 400 bucks a month in the Philippines can actually get you kind of far, though, can it? Exactly. You can live that off was, that. That was yeah. at least paying my bills, you know. Um, and, uh, you know, so I remember being very, I was very upset at the time and very frustrated with how things are working out because, you know, I'd just gotten there. It was like I'd made it. I was on my way. And then, boom, obviously I wasn't, you know, something, you know, it was like, boom, I don't know how this is going to work out now. So that, that was how it started a week after I arrived. And from there, I began uh, you know, playing with different things on the side to try and make money with it, trying to dig into, you know, you know could I fix it from an SEO point of view and get, get the site to rank, which I tried, but it never got back up there. Uh, could I do some you know, email product launch stuff, you know, basically start sending, you know, sending lots of emails and, and sell products? Would that work? And tried a little bit of that. Remember, I got to a point where I made, I think I made, I don't know, $1,000 or $2,000 or something with the email list. And around that time, I joined a copywriting mastermind because I, you know, realized that, that what, you know, what I really need to do is learn how to sell, learn how to, uh, you know, write emails and write sales pages and write things that are going to make people buy something. Oh, there's a few things that happened before that, actually. I remember I almost ran out of money at one point, so snagged a web design client that just needed some basic web help. To update some, uh, it was pretty basic stuff. They're updating their store on the website, so we just had to upload, I think it was a couple hundred or a couple thousand products on the site. So took that, remember stayed up quite late one night getting that done to bring in some money just so I could stay in the ring, stay in the game. And uh, so did that. There was a couple other random things like that. I remember going and knocking on doors uh, at resorts around the area to try and get them to, uh, you know, get me to do some web, you know, a website for them. So there was that. There was, uh, yeah, and then eventually, so it led to this copywriting, got in this copywriting mastermind, and the whole point was to learn how to write copy, to write sales copy, write sales pages, all that sort of stuff. That was when I started to sit down, and every morning for one hour, you know, I'd wake up, and the first thing before I did anything else would, was write copy. And I'd sit down, and I would, um, yeah, write sales copy. 
you know, I'd, I'd go and get an old sales letter from from anyone. Basically, like Gary, Gary Halbert is the one they always hear about, right? There you go, Gary Halbert. One was that, yeah, I'd go and get a, an old Gary Halbert sales letter or I'd go to, here we go, Info Marketing Blog is one that I used to use a lot. And I'd go to a site like this and grab a sales page. I'm just on there now. And this is an old advertisement that says, Math Wizard reveals amazing secrets of calculating skills. And you're just like copying them down verbatim. Copying them down verbatim with a pen and paper. And the idea is to do it for one hour every day, five days a week. And so this is a method suggested by Gary Halbert for learning how to write copy. If you want to learn how to write this stuff, just go and do write other good stuff down a lot. Do it again and again and again and again. And you'll figure it out. And so I did that for two, three, two or three months, dragged it all in a spreadsheet. I probably got the spreadsheet around somewhere. And that, you know, that was where it all started. That was where I learned how to write copy. And that's sort of what's led me to what I'm doing now, which is, uh, you know, very, it's not, yeah, I'm not writing a lot of copy these days, but, um, but that was where th- that basically that's so writing the copy then led into writing emails for Dan. So he wanted uh, 10 emails for an autoresponder. Did that. I remember being so surprised too. Like I did a presentation, they had an event in the Philippines. You know, brought 20, I think it's about 20 entrepreneurs from different places around the world who'd all converged in the Philippines, come out to this tiny little island in the middle of nowhere for this basically business sort of mastermind event. And Dan asked me to get up and do a presentation on email marketing because that's what I've been learning about. I've been, you know, studying Andre Chaperone and some of these other guys. And so I get up there and talk about email. And I remember at the end of the talk, uh, Dan, before I, you know, walked away, Dan goes, all right, stay there. And he looked around the room and he, I remember he said, uh, I put up your hand if you pay for something like this. And uh, pretty much everyone put up their hand. He's like, put up your hand if you pay $500 for this. You know, lots of people put up their hand and then, you know, $1,500. And, and it blew me away at the time. Like it was emails and it blew me away. You know, I, I guess, you know, and this, this to me, this to me reminds me of just the whole like, you know, no one in my family is very entrepreneurial and this is, Guess what? The skill was going to like I didn't. I just couldn't fathom that someone would pay money for someone else to write them emails. It just didn't make sense. Didn't compute. And uh, you know, when I saw that, that was ended up. You know, what ended up happening was I yeah wrote some emails for uh, Dan, and then we ended up doing a podcast on it, which got put up on Tropical MBA, which you can still find. And uh, on that podcast, at the end of it, we made a, an offer, um, which was that. Um, you know, if you want to get the, you know, the same kind of autoresponder for your business, you know, go to dropdeadcopy.com at the time and you can hire me and I'll write the same thing for you. And so we did that and, um, and that was where the client started. That was where the business really kicked into gear. Mm-hmm. Cool. How many, how many clients did you get from that initial podcast? Uh, I think it was oh, two or three. Cool. Oh, I don't know. It was enough to basically go, this, to- you know, this is what. Yeah, it's enough to go that this is working and enough to start building your testimonials and your customer list and, you know, get some referrals in the door and stuff. So cool. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, um, it was pretty special at the time. I mean, being in the Philippines, like I, at that point, I still had no idea how I was going to, you know, make money and get off on my own. And, and I just didn't know how it was ever going to work. And, uh, and it was just, you know, around then when, you know, it started. So, you know, you got on the phone with one person, they said they owed me $500 to write the emails and that blew me away. So a few more people that jumped on board and, and then I just kept pushing it, did a lot of podcasts and um, built it that way. Nice. Very cool. So, um, so tell us a little bit about what the business is that you run today um, and a little bit about what, what really makes your business unique and what separates you from other guys who, who write emails. Uh, well, so for, for the next few years after that, it's basically just doing the same thing. Eventually, uh, bring in enough clients that, that I could then sub, you know, basically hire other copywriters to do the work, uh, for me. So I'd, I'd go and close the deals and then I'd farm, you know, basically farm the work out at different times. 
and um, or just you know have a team do it. And that was great, but you know eventually I realized that's not really a business. You know, making sales. You know, I could have a really good month where I make five, ten, you know, five, ten, however many clients, and then on day one of the next month, like we start back at zero, zero dollars. And that was that was really frustrating. And um, you know, I remember there was a, a period at one point where it just got to a point where I was like, "This, it's not sustainable. It's not a business. It's not something I can I can walk away from. You know, I can't even take a week off. Um, you know, if I'm not selling, you know, it's not working. So then it's like, all right, well, what's going to be what's going to be the business? And so that's when I started to think. Well, one of the big mistakes that I made um, through the uh, you know through the last few years was not choosing a, a specific target market. Um, in the sense that I didn't, you know, I chose to focus on email marketing. I didn't choose to focus on plumbers or, um, you know, authorities online or, you know, a, ver- a variety of different things, right? I, I chose to focus, I positioned myself as the email marketing guy, not the plumber, not the marketing for plumbers guy, not the marketing for whoever guy. So one mistake, that, that was one mistake, is the clear market. One of the other mistakes was, uh, well, one of the other issues was no re- like recurring. So I never did re- really recurring revenue. I had a recurring community where people would sign up still up at the moment, um, but for a flat fee, people would sign up for uh, $77 a month and they'd get access to a forum and a variety of training material. So I did that. I'm just writing this down so to help me think about it. So we had the recurring revenue and uh, and then a team. You know, a, b- a big thing that, that I'd done wrong with, the, I, you know, I felt like I did wrong with doing the copywriting for you know a while was we didn't have a clear product because we didn't have a clear market we were serving. Every job was different. So there was no clear product that we were selling. So then there was no real way to systemize it. You know, I'd, I'd have to go out and find people who could write emails and the emails were often different from different writers. And it was just, it was messy. And so, you know, in going through that dip at that point, it was like, all right, we need a business where it's a clear market. You know, it's one specific market, a specific type of person or type of business that we're going to help. There needs to be like recurring potential. So we got to sell them something every single month for as long as possible. Um, and it needs to be backed by a team. So it needs to be something that I'm not delivering myself. So it, it's an actual business that, and this isn't, you know, partly the reason for this is so I can step back and, and obviously, you know, take time off or go and do things like the music that we talked about. It's other stuff that doesn't involve work. But it's also because it makes it, you know, makes it a business. It's, it's much more valuable that way. Um, you know, you can't sell a freelance copy, like you can't sell a freelance copywriting. No one's going to buy that because it's not a business. Um, so that, so I started with those three things, and that was where I let's do that. That then led me to this um, thinking: well, who does who needs email marketing? You know, what specific market needs email marketing today? And you know, every month after that, and that became online retailers, so e-commerce stores, people selling physical products, and then became it needs to be recurring revenue. So people need to be paying um, every single month. So whether it's a you know a few thousand dollars or however much it ends up being, they need to be paying every single month for as long as possible. Because then that means, you know, I can sign up five clients today or this month and then on day one, the next month, we're already at five clients. Yep. So, so then you have something like that you can grow. Gotcha. Exactly. Exactly. So, so what kind of an offer did you actually make to these guys? Like what do you, what do you provide for your clients today? So what it is now, it's just a done for you email marketing solution. So we come in when a client comes in, so an, you know, an online, online retailer selling a computer, let's say, I don't know, it could be, let's say computers, let's say it's Apple. They're not a client, but uh, let's say that you know if they were, we'd get we get on the phone with them and say, all right, what we'll do, we'll just do it. it's done for you email marketing solution. You need basically a number of different automated campaigns on the front end. So when people visit the site, things like card abandonment, uh, six or well, one in two in three people are going to abandon their cards. They're going to add a computer, you know, a computer or an iPhone or something like that to their cart. Then they're going to leave the website. Now we're going to implement a uh, card abandonment flow that's going to bring them back. 
there is things like a re-engagement campaign. There's a nurture sequence. So when people visit the website and they sign up to the email list for a coupon or for a, an ebook or for something that you're going to offer them, you're going to then have, you know, we're going to create a, a sort of a sequence of emails that goes out and that warms these people up and makes them buy as soon as possible. Because the sooner you get them to buy, the better. But if they're on the list for two, three, four weeks and haven't bought, you know, it's going to get harder and harder over time. So basically, we're going to set up these, you know, five, six, seven different automated campaigns. Uh, for the business. And then on an ongoing basis, what we're going to do is we're going to like optimize, basically track all the results uh, with those campaigns and improve them over time as well. We'll also be running promotions to the list where we uh, obviously come up with, a, you know, there'll be an email marketing calendar and uh, we will send, uh, send various emails each month. Some of them will be segmented between different parts of the database. So yeah, the done for you email marketing solution that gets better over time. Got it, got it, got it. So the recurring component is basically continuous like analysis optimization of the of the email campaigns that are going out. And so the way I'd understand this is you probably have a bit of a bigger upfront fee, and then on a recurring basis, then you have some sort of a maintenance fee for doing the analysis. Okay, cool, right on. Very cool. And you primarily work with e-commerce retailers because they have so many products and they always maybe need new. I don't know new protocols for for each um, for each new product that comes in. I don't know. Do you get that detailed in the terms of, in the in the kinds of emails that you send out, or it just varies on the client. Depends what they need. Um, it's it's relatively systemized, but but uh, you know we had a, one client recently um, was uh, they sell domain uh, DNS services, so sort of a premium DNS provider for so not domains and things like that, more of the DNS. Um, you know, different, um, they got some products which just make it, you know, if your site's getting attacked or it's a, you know, high value site or something like that, they'll make sure that it stays online with some of their services. So, you know, we had them on board and uh, they had, I think, 20, 25 different products. We had different emails to them, but the same, because the thing is, is the logic in the emails that we create works for, it works for a variety of businesses. The only reason we don't do it for, you know, software, for example, is because it's a different model. So they got lots of different emails, but most e-commerce businesses are all the same, even if the content in the emails changes. Right, right. So you just kind of swap out the content and then you have a product which is pretty much good to go. And that's nice. Cool. So really, so, so you've, you streamline it down to a fairly productized service. You have this suite of emails and then nice, very cool. And so um, what's, the, what's, the, what's the biggest challenge that you're facing today with this business? Uh, the marketing. Like the so, basically the the biggest the biggest challenge right now and the challenge really for for this year well, to figure out is uh, how to get clients uh, consistently like on a consistent basis like some sort of scalable like scalable reliable method of getting clients because right now you know we've been able to get clients through you know referrals and and just the network uh, and I've got, you know the old business the other which is still up called the McMethod uh, which is where the copywriting stuff goes through that's still there so so there's Stuff coming through, but right now, what what the business really needs is some sort of um, yeah marketing channel that I can that, you know that we can scale up through. Nice. We haven't found that yet. Nice, nice. What is I mean? What is your what is your if you had to like pin your hopes on something right now? Like what are, what are some things that you're looking forward to investigating specifically for for solving this? I got some cold email stuff running, so you know, we're trying we're trying to do a bunch of different approaches with that. Um, so cold emails going out and getting a list of. Say online retailers and uh, contacting them, and so looking at different ways to do that. Uh, we got one 
Uh, we've got an agency doing some of this stuff right now where they go through and they, they get all the emails manually and they go through and send a customized email to each company and ask them if they want to get on the phone and, and there's a whole sequence and sort of whole sort of logic and science that goes into it. That's so far though. It's been, it's, um, you were a few, uh, it's a month or two into it. It's okay. Like it's not, it hasn't like made any good results yet. So like before I, you know, before I tried all this, tried the, you know, cold email, it was like, this is really going to work. Everyone goes, well, how good cold email is. But um, but now it's it's not seeming like it's going to be the winner in this case. Um, something else we got going is uh, is starting basically doing different Facebook funnels. Um, it's basically paid paid traffic, so setting up a sales funnel and, and you know driving um, driving leads through that. Which um, I tried some like basic tests so far, but like it's still, like again again it's one of these things. It's still it's hard to figure out just because I've sold products online. So going into something like information products or stuff like that online is very different to selling a service where you know, which is you know, a few thousand dollars, you know, you know at least a few thousand dollars. Yeah, I'm so I'm getting on the phone with these people to, I have to get them on the phone to then sell them. So it's just a different, it's a different model that I haven't really done before. So just this marketing side of it is, you know, it's an interesting challenge to to dig into. Yeah, sounds really, sounds really, sounds like a lot of fun. I mean, I, things that come to my mind immediately are, you know, maybe seeing if there's a way with webinars to do this kind of thing. I don't know if that works for your market. Um, and I also listened to a really interesting podcast a couple of weeks ago about a guy who does this with LinkedIn. He's able to connect with, um, you know, basically the, the decision makers on LinkedIn. And he has this process where he, he's built up an entire agency around delivering the service actually of, um, of reaching out to people in a, in a very methodical manner, you know, first getting them into some sort of a LinkedIn group. And then once they're in the LinkedIn group, then going out and, um, you know, what's his name? Um, you know what? His name is Isabel. Is it Josh? Um, maybe it's Josh. Yeah. He was on, Mixer, he, was on a, he was on a great mixer G podcast a little while ago. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's a yeah, Josh guy. Yeah, there's, yeah. Uh, there's a guy that's his strategy. He's got to set up a uh, LinkedIn group yeah. and uh, invite a bunch of people to it, and then start yeah, give it, you got to give it a really posh name, like oh, leaders of X Y Z industries, and then you know people will like, oh yeah, I'm a leader of this, and you invite them, and then it's like a lo- it's like a pretty it's a pretty long funnel, and it takes a lot of time. You know, it's like a slow nurturing campaign, I guess, where you. You know, you just reach out to them, ask them to come to your group, then you send them one or two messages about this over the next two months, and then you say, "Hey, by the way, you know, I think I could help your business," and then go from there. But, um, but yeah. So, what was the toughest time during during the bootstrapping of this business? Uh, I think it was in the initial stages, getting get, like getting things going. Um, probably last year, maybe six months ago. Yeah, six months ago. I was in Colombia at the time. And it's it's just that stage when you you're starting to do something you don't know if it's going to work yet and you don't know if no one's paid you money for it yet you've had some nibbles you've had some bites but no, yeah no one's really gotten on board and so you get you first first of all you get out there and you get really excited you go and you know you go on like a sales where you go push it really hard hustle and hustle and hustle and it's great and then nothing happens and you're gonna start to it's like wow this is this isn't working. Um, and that's sort of how it's. You know, that's how it seems like a, how a lot of these things start. Is you you come with this great idea and then you go out there and you try and sell it and no one, no one buys, no one gets on board, and then you start rethinking and start wondering if you're failing. And then out of the blue, not really out of the blue, but then sometimes like eventually something clicks. And this is what happened. I think you know a month or two into it, a couple of months into it, something clicks. I had your first official client for it, and. Um, and so yeah, but it's a bit. It really is that stage, that early stage of of when you're going through that. It's definitely you know it's called. The, you know, I suppose a lot of people call it a dip. You know, you start off you're very full of excitement, then you go down, and you really it's really tempting to quit in that down stage. But then if you stick with it, you do eventually come back out of it, and 
you know, you say, you know, the idea is you generally sail, you know, sail smoothly upwards again. But then it seems like this sort of thing, it, it's more of a, um, that, that dip and then go back up and then dip and go back. You sort of dip and go back up your whole, the whole, the whole time. The whole way. Like you're yeah. down a little bit. Then you up, sort of like two steps forward, yeah. one step back. That's ideally, ideally with an overall upward tra- trajectory, but yeah, got it. Ideally, but I, it, I mean, here's the other thing that I've been thinking a lot about recently is this idea of, um, Especially in the internet world, I don't know how deep you want to get into this, but but especially in this world, there's this narrative of of success that we're all sold. Especially in, uh, to me, looking from the outside, it seems like it's a very American thing, but it's it's very much part of Western culture. I think this idea that the best thing you like you need you should be as successful as possible, that you need to have the best in everything, you need to hustle, you need to work, you need to be disciplined, and. Uh, and the people who succeed, the people who you know actually break through, there's this survivor's bias where they think, uh, you know, I made it because I did X, Y, Z, because I, I persisted more, more, yeah, something like that. Yeah, and then you, have, you end up having this attitude that the people who failed failed because they weren't good enough. And you know, what, I guess what experiences showed me in meeting different people and just seeing how you know, I guess the real world actually works is it's not that simple. Um, and that this, narr- this narrative of success. I mean, number one, there's this. Part of the narrative says that if you know, if you know, this is how I feel about it anyway. But but there's this narrative that you know, if you're not successful, if you're not doing these things, you're a, you're a failure. You you know, and you you're an excuse. You need to be adding value to the world. You need to be doing all this stuff. So there's a lot of guilt and shame. Uh, I think that 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 you know, we pile under people to to you know be successful. There's a lot of pressure. But then the other side of this is that a lot of people who get into the game fail. And a lot of them might do everything right and they still fail because it could be that maybe their grandma gets sick and they have to take three months off while they take care of her or maybe they've got a wife. And there's all these things like that. They're very logical things. And there's other things that maybe you don't even see that, that there's other reasons why people fail. And so I've been finding it really interesting thinking about some of this stuff because I guess, I guess when you're young, how old are you, man? I'm 29. 29. So yeah, I'm 26. But it almost seems like as you get older, you start to look at some of this stuff differently where instead of it just being, yeah, you can have anything you want if you work hard enough, you realize it's just a little bit more nuanced than that. Yeah, I mean, I hear you. I mean, this, um, I mean, you can, you can do everything right and be executing on, on the wrong idea for sure. Or, you know, you can just get unlucky. So, so what's, what's, what's kind of your conclusion from that? Like, how, how, do, you, how do you act differently with this, with this new perspective? How does that inform your, your behavior when it comes to business? I think the honest answer is I'm still, you know, still figuring it out, still mulling it over. But I think part of it is, you know, for me, you know, I, I'm just coming off the tail end of this uh, meditation process, this thing called the presence process that I've just done, and so I think I've got a lot of sort of emotions that are bubbling around right now with this. Um, but it, it it seems like what what happens is you realize that that. Um, to some degree, we all seem to be driven by this idea of not being enough. This idea of if I, if I don't be, become successful, then um, an excuse, or I'm a failure, or I'm this, I'm that, that, that sort of thing, right? And so it's interesting. Part of this this book that I've just read, you know, sort of, it's a ten week process, um, and you do you have like a breathing practice that you do a couple of times a day, and so a few things like that. And anyway, so part of that is is as you as these feelings come up of you know I'm not enough, or you know you start to feel anxious about oh I need to accomplish this, I need to do that. Uh, the idea instead of letting that drive you as as we all tend to do, the the idea of this process is you know you'd sit there and just sit with it. So instead of trying to do something with it, just feel it, just sit there and feel yeah, that right. feeling. And, Somehow, um, yes, you, you you try to break the cycle of um, of impulse and reaction, right? You try to just exactly, yep. Mm-hmm. But so it opens up this this void where you're kind of like, well, if you're not driven by this fear, 
Because if you start seeing the fear for what it is, like it's just fear and you start to feel it more. And then it, uh, it you know, it's had this strange effect of, uh, of, you know, when I look at like, you know, motivation for business and motivation for different things, it, it affects that motivation because now it's like, well, do you really want to do X, Y, Z or, or do you just want to do it because you, you're afraid of what might happen if you don't? I mean, yeah, that was one of the things which I was thinking about earlier while you were saying, while you were talking about this whole, this whole narrative of success and failure is that I think a big part of that is, is how you define success and how you define failure. And, um, you know, I mean, I guess that's totally subjective. Like, are, if you're defining success as, you know, being the next WP curve, but for the email marketing industry, then, I mean, is that the only kind of success that there is out there, right? If you're not achieving that, is everything else failure? And if you put that on, if you put, if you put that on yourself, you know, then, um, then yeah, of course it's going to take a lot for you to, to feel okay. But, um, and it, I mean, it gets kind of messy, right? Cause you might say, well, you know, if, if being like WP Curve is, is, you know, that's what you need to be to be successful. If you go, well, that's not the way I measure success and I'm going to get measure it by how happy I am or by how healthy I am or by some other metric, how happy my family is, for example. Um, there are some people, because then they, they basically this comes into it, some people will be like, well, if you can't win, just change the rules. The idea is that you weren't, <laughs> yeah. you weren't able to figure it out, so just change the rules so you can just win at a different game. And that could be a good thing or a bad thing, but, but in, in many cases, I feel like that's a, a way to, I guess there's a, just a lot of pressure put on people to, 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 to make money or to make these different things, to be this externally successful. And there's not as much pressure put on people to be clear on what each person wants, to have clarity. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely, that's definitely something that, um, I see in a lot of my peer group and something that a lot of guys around me struggle with. Um, it's interesting that you mentioned meditation because, um, myself and another buddy here who's actually with me here in Colanta right now, we, um, we both did the 10 day meditation, the Vipassana meditation retreat where you like go out and you're silent for 10 days. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's both of us kind of coming back from that. It's, it's a lot of thinking, well, yeah, what do I really want? And just kind of this realization that, yeah, you know, business is good and it's fun and it's, it's a fun game to play, but that ultimately, you know, it's, it's not the truth either. You know, it's not the one thing that's going to define, um, your, your value or your success on this, on this planet. And, um, the idea that's kind of tumbling around in my circle right now is kind of this idea of self-realization, you know, figuring out who it is that you are on the deepest possible level. And, um, and, you know, Figuring out how to how to you know be the best version of yourself, I guess. <clears throat> yeah, I like we're, that. We're, we're treading in spiritual waters a little bit now here, but um, but yeah, I mean that's kind of the <laughs> the thing it's, the thing know, which is the thing which is going around in these circles, you know, especially like you know, like as as you like you said earlier, as you get a little bit older, you start thinking, okay, yeah, I mean, but does all this stuff really make me that much happier? And um, yeah, it's it's interesting. Well, yeah, I mean, it's 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 just funny because like. I was talking to a guy this morning who was one of these guys who did a podcast like this with him. And um, he was one of these guys who I think he, you know, sounded like he'd, you know, finished school at 18, just this, you know, massive overachiever. I wanted to be a millionaire by the time he was 30 and had hit, the, you know, a lot of these goals by the time he was 27. And um, just very successful guy, very energetic, very outgoing, very, you know, very driven. And, um, you know, his chatting to him was like, I, I, because I think it's, it, I feel like sometimes meditation and, and sort of delving into that side of the world starts to do this to you, or you know maybe just sort of opens you know you up to this sort of stuff. We start thinking, look, I know I could go and do that. You know, you could go and work and and have all that. Be like, what's the point? You know, you could make all this money, or or you know, and whether whether your measure is having a nice car or traveling around or doing these different things, like achieving this worldly success, you start to think, well, that's 
that doesn't actually matter. Like you, your value system starts to shift and you start thinking that's not actually what I'm measuring. My, almost emotionally, you stop measuring your life like that and it, it starts to become, it, it feels like it starts to become like you, you don't really need, to, you know, if you have more money, great, but it starts to feel like it doesn't really matter um, in some ways. But then you end up in this void of like, well, all right, well, if I'm not going to do it, if I'm not going to measure my life in that way, in this objective way that's really easy to quantify and really easy to compare myself to others and all of that, what the hell do I measure it with and how do I make decisions? And then you end up in this self-realization thing where there's no instructions and there's no one to tell you how to do it because there's no book. It's, it's really about understanding yourself and there's no, there's no right or wrong when it comes to that. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, man. So, uh, so welcome, welcome to the void. <laughs> <laughs> what have you learned about the realization thing? I don't know if this is exactly the answer to the question, but I think that the ultimate thing is just to, to figure out how you can be happy right now. Because if you can't be happy right now, you're never going to be happy. You know, if you can't be content with who you are and where you are right now, it's never going to happen. I mean, um, achieving a goal is just one moment. And once you've achieved it, then, then you'll, you know, maybe you'll make the next goal and, you know, that's fine. But if you, if you can't enjoy where you are right now and if you can't enjoy the process of getting to wherever it is that you've set for yourself to go, then you're wasting, um, 99% of your life or more like, 99.99999, you know, I guess, so I guess where that's... where is it leading you? Where is that leading me? Insights? Yeah, where is that you leading? Like, what's your, like, if you had to talk about what your, um, yeah. I don't know if you want to get into it, but it's yeah, well, question of, sure, we can, we can, why, why not? We can get into it a little bit. Um, you know, this is a question which, I, it's funny, like, just last night I was sitting, so right now we're here in Colanta. Um, I'm sitting here with five really good friends who, um, who I've actually just met in the last year since I started organizing these, these mastermind groups for self-funded founders in Berlin. And, um, and here we are, um, a year later on this island and, you know, we're all kind of at a similar place in our businesses. You know, some people are, yeah, every, everyone's kind of in this transitionary phase where they're like, okay, what's the next project? Or they're just starting a new project. And, um, yeah. And, and the question, the question is, yeah, well, where do you really want to go in the long term? What's kind of more of an end game situation? And I was just sitting around with these guys and we were doing a mastermind last night and, it was a prioritization mastermind because I was like, I don't know what, which of my projects I have right now to really prioritize the most. And, um, and kind of the answer which came out of it for me was that I, I think what I really want to spend more of my time focusing on is just really building, building, investing more in the community, which I've already been building and, and figuring out a way to just play to my strengths in a, in a way that I haven't necessarily been doing in the past, you know, focusing on, on doing more face to face community stuff. I love this podcast stuff as well. I love the internet scene as well. There's, there's interesting stuff going on there and man, there's a really huge pot potential for, you know, making money and automating processes and stuff. But, um, as I, as I look at my own, um, history of, you know, where I've just been naturally successful, where I've just enjoyed myself the most, it, it seems to revolve around face to face communities. And, um, and I think that's kind of where I want to, where I want to start focusing more energy in the future. And, um, and figure out how to just, you know, we're, we're living in this age of online stuff and figure out how to make this online stuff a little bit more real again. I don't know if that answers your question, John, but that's about, it does. I mean, I think, that's, I think that's what it's taking me like right now. You know, like it's like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm doing all these different projects, right? And some of them, you know, I, I see, I see a lot of people around me who are like making a lot of money, um, you know, by sticking to the online thing. But, um, I guess at the bottom of it is just this realization that just because there are some people out there who are making cash one way, just because there are a couple of business models that you hear about over and over again, which are very, very successful, and which is where maybe a lot of money gets made, that doesn't necessarily mean that that's the way that I should be going. Um, and that's not necessarily the way that 
that's not necessarily the only way to be successful either, you know? And, um, and maybe, maybe true success, just playing with this idea, maybe true success comes from maybe the easiest path for, for me to, you know, make, you know, have my financial success and also, you know, my, my, uh, emotional and, and spiritual success, whatever that might be, is to, is to just really hone in on what it is that just comes most naturally to me and, and just double down on that. I think one, one thing here is, that, you know, someone would say, well, you know, you can go after the money, which is go after these business models that, you know, you meet these people, or you can go after what makes you happy. And, um, you know, it's funny, I'm reading a book right now by, it's called 30 Lessons uh, for Living from, I think it's 30 Lessons of Living, I can't remember what the subtitle is. It's basically a guy who, who studies old people and he went and, you know, had a bunch of interviews with 70, 80 and 90 year old people, men and women, and asked them what their lessons for living were for younger people, which is anyone basically below 60. So, you know, it's really interesting. A lot of them, you know, one of the big things that came up with the career is like, don't take the money, take the, whatever it is that's more adventurous and more happier or more exciting to you, do that even if it's less money. Um, and, uh, you know, that's starting to be ring true. So you end up in these positions where I'm the same as you. I meet plenty of people who, like the guy this morning, who they, they're very driven. And for them, it makes them very, it seems to make them very, you know, some of them anyway, it seems to make them very happy. They're in a position where they're making a lot of money, they're making an impact, and they feel very uh, excited. But one thing I've been learning is that what makes them happy, what makes them get excited, and what really gets them juiced isn't necessarily what's going to get me juiced. And I think it takes a lot of self-honesty or self, uh, you know, almost integrity, but, but a lot of honesty with yourself to be able to go, look, I can see that person there and he's making a lot of money and he's very happy or whatever. And to go, but me, I don't feel it. You know, as much as I might be attracted to that kind of life and that kind of money or whatever it is that, that that person has, you know, when I look deep down inside me, that's not me. I think that takes courage. You know, whereas there's a lot of pressure put on, like we're talking about, like, to, you know, when you see this bill to, you know, amp yourself up to go and do what they do. You know, if they're making more money, go, you know, go, go follow and do what they're doing. Um, so, and one thing, one other thing you mentioned too, which I think is interesting is that it seems like all these things are clues. You don't really necessarily figure it all out in advance. You might have, you know, it's good to have goals and all that stuff. But part of this, this, it feels like a different path is more thinking in terms of what, what are you excited by? What sort of activates you and gets you going? And then to head in that direction. So for you, if it's people and connecting people, um, to to explore that, to push in that direction and just see what doors open up instead of trying to, you know, sometimes because sometimes you do these things like, oh, I'd really love to do this, but I just don't know how it's going to work out or I don't know how I can make money from or, you know, all this stuff. But it's interesting starting to think about what if you moved in, you know, what if we all did? What if we all moved in these directions when we can anyway? Right. exploring these things. Right, right. I mean, yeah, two things come to my mind. The first is I have a buddy who's always talking about, you know, he always chooses the path. Um, he, he, he lives his life with trust, right? That's, that's kind of the core idea is that, you know, to live this life with, you know, trusting that it's going to work out okay, whatever you do. And, um, and how would you, and kind of asking you that question always, like, what's the decision I would make right now if I would, if I would trust more? One thing here, you mentioned the trust thing. I just thought like, sometimes, um, you know, like right now, for example, yesterday and today I've had bad day a bad day in the sense of not just not feeling motivated um and we all have these days we just feel like you know disconnected we're not excited about whatever it is that we're doing we're frustrated and this is how i've been feeling you know yesterday and today and i've been noticed been interesting noticing how how my own sort of brain works through it because i start beating myself up i'm like feeling guilty it's like i've got to work i've got to get this done why don't i care about this and it's uh you mentioned the trust thing sometimes it's like all right what would i do if if i was to just go all right well what if i was just going to trust that it's all going to work out there'd be a lot less pressure. I'd probably be like, all right, well, I'll do what I can. 
I'm not going to beat myself up if, if I don't get everything done. I'm not going to freak out or try and push myself through this huge barrier that sometimes it feels like there. I'm just going to relax. And if I feel like doing it, do a little bit and just take all the pressure off. And it's, it, it, that's an interesting question. What, how, what, what would you do if, if you knew that every, if you just trusted that everything was going to be okay? All right, man. So maybe you have to go back and, and, and go back to pastor school and, and start, uh, <laughs> become the, the, become the entrepreneur's, uh, guru or whatever that means. But I, I actually just remembered also, I just remembered what, um, what you going to say, what I was going to say, which was that, um, you know, I've, I've been doing a couple of these podcasts now and, um, here on the podcast, I have, I guess you're going to be episode number 30 or so. Um, but before that, I've done, I've done tons of interviews before this as well. Like this is something I've been doing for a long time before I started recording them. And so I probably have about a hundred under my belt by now. And one of the trends which I've noticed in a lot of the entrepreneurs that I've interviewed is that oftentimes the thing that really works out for them is not this analyzed, strategically planned, um, from the beginning type thing. It's like, it's the thing that they did on the side, you know? It's like, oh, and then we did this one little marketing thing for fun and that actually wound up becoming our main business. Or, oh, you know, I, I just always had this little website, which was my hobby. And then at some point I realized, wow, there's like 10K per month coming in here. And, um, and I think it's those things that, you know, I, you, I, don't, I don't think you can plan the, the entrepreneurial success story. You know, like you can try if you want, you can try to control it 100%. But more often than not, it's, it's that success kind of comes on by accident. You know, you're moving around, you're doing something that you really like, and then, you know, an opportunity that fits for you will present itself. And, um, or that little side project that you've always had, you know, will, will work out in a big way. Or, you know, I mean, for you, maybe you'll come to Berlin and, and you'll find yourself uh, getting back into, you know, producing music. And, and before you know it, actually, you know, the big, the biggest entrepreneurial move of your career is actually some record that you release as opposed to, you know, doing email marketing for, for e-commerce stores. So who knows? You know, music, I remember one thing I've heard some people say when we were thinking about this is like, whatever you do when you procrastinate should be what, that's what you should probably be doing with your life. And, uh, you know, for me lately, it's, it's definitely been music. You know, I'll be like, Oh, I'll just hop on for five minutes. And then it just sucked. Like for me, it just sucks me in. You know, it's interesting too. You just mentioned, um, you know, connecting with people, you know, I mean, just definitely trying to think more in less about trying to logically figure out the path and be real strategic and more just going, look, what, what really just gets to my core? What, what just, just being honest about what excites me. If I was a kid and I was just like, well, this excites me, what would that be? And um, for me, a big part of it is, has been, um, you know, I went to Necker Island uh, to meet Richard Branson and, and a bunch of things for an event last year in May. And, how, did, how did you get over there? Uh, it, <laughs> this is a story. Uh, basically, wanted to go to, do you know Singularity University? So I wanted to go to Singularity University. Basically, I was in Thailand a year ago and was like, look, I'm, you know, have this lifestyle. Live in Thailand for the next 50 years, I'm probably going to be fine. Uh, if, if I could have a great lifestyle, live on the beach, travel around a bit if I wanted to, I could have this amazing life. But oh, I just like, that doesn't sound that interesting. I was like, well, what really excites me? And at the time, I was like, well, I, you know, one book that really excites me is Abundance by Peter Diamandis. And um, then I was like, well, if I'm going to follow that, well, maybe I should go to Singularity University. So apparently, then found a, a friend of a friend who'd been there and got on the phone with him to, you know, I always use the podcast uh, as a way to network with people. So I'd got him on for the podcast. And uh, at the end, he says, look, I'm going to Necker in May to meet Richard Branson. It's part of an event. We're going to pitch him and all this stuff like that. And at the end, I go, all right, well, I'll see you on Necker in you know, three years' time. Because I was like, there's no way I can – I'm just not on that level. I can't afford it. Can't go. Can't – all this stuff. And uh, he said, look, I expect to see you there this year. And uh, you know, I went away from that. And um, 
sent him some stuff like uh, you know resume and a LinkedIn profile. He sent over to the uh, the organizer. She calls back about a month later and says, "Look, we just had a chat. Basically, sort of like an application only thing, and had a chat. Asked me a bunch of questions, and then said, look, think you're think you're a good fit. So come along. Nice." And, nice. Um, so, so, what was what so was the program up, you were you were talking with the person who was organizing the Singularity University's trip there? Yeah. No, it wasn't so. So, no, I I talked with Brian who went to Singularity University uh, for their graduate studies program a few years ago. He did, he doesn't organize it. He just went there. Um, and so the trip itself wasn't actually it wasn't Singularity University. It was just with those types of people, people who are building. You know, some of these people are building huge companies. Some of them, are, you know, he's building some you know, these things, these satellites that are going to go up. He's you know calling card. He's I built spaceships. Um, just some, you know, really amazing people. And, you know, as I've been, you know, so basically this is one of the things that I'm really interested in. I love meeting these types of people and seeing, hearing about what they're doing and, and just connecting with them. It, but at the same time, I had this conflicting interest where sometimes I'm like, look, I, you know, I've read, you know, Elon Musk's biography and, you know, I know a lot about how hard some of these guys work. I'm like, I don't know if I really want to build a business like that. But I love connecting with these kind of people. And so I actually went out for dinner the other Friday night with some of the people from Necker Island because the bunch of them were from Sydney. We went out, we had dinner. And I remember at the end, I, I, I organized the dinner. And I remember at the end, they were all so happy. They were so glad that they had done it. They you know, made connect, you know, connections with each other. They'd been meaning to do it for ages. Just no one had gotten around to organizing it. And, and I remember I walked away and was like, this, this was, I felt so fulfilled and so satisfied that, that I'd been able to, you know, sort of put that, you know, all I'd required was a Facebook message and a bit of organization and that was it. But I, I started to think more about it. that's something that I would, you know, if I, if I, if there was a way to do more of that, more of basically connecting with um, entrepreneurs and movers and shakers and people like that, that, that to me, that was, I think you mentioned this as well, like that to me is something that just genuinely just really excites me. No idea how to make money, well, because of my ideas, but there's no way to make money with it tomorrow or anything like that. It's just something that, I'd like to do one day. And if, if, if my, you know, I love doing podcasts like this. It's very easy for me to get on a podcast and I, I notice that I connect with people. Like I'm more than happy to get on the phone like this and talk with people. And whereas other people don't like that. They don't like meeting new people. They're not that sociable and they don't really enjoy doing those connections. So to me, it was like, that'd be a great way to live. Just basically spend your day connecting with all sorts of different people. And that, that'd be another great way to live. So That would be a really fun way to live, man. Um, let's talk a little bit about email marketing real quick. Um, yeah. what is, um, what is something that, uh, that, uh, people who are new to email marketing, people who are just getting started should, should know about, about autoresponders. Like what's a basic autoresponder that, um, yeah, what, what are the, what are the autoresponder basics that anybody who's just getting started with this should know about? The way to think about it is, is just building relationships. So if, if you have any kind of web property, any kind of website, there are people visiting that site and you, you know, one way to connect with them is to obviously send them email. So, Give them make the basic idea is make them some kind of offer. Give they're not going to give you their email address for, for nothing. So give them something for it, whether it's a coupon or a, you know thirty days for free or an ebook or a free download. Something. Give them something. Get their email address, and then think about it this way: you really want to use your marketing to move people through the you know your sales process. So get them to buy your first product, then your second product, then your fifth product, and so on like that. And so they sign up, and you start introduce yourself. Um, Welcome them to the family and eventually have what you might call a brand indoctrination email. Sort of a bit about who you, who you are or who the company is and why you're so special and why, you know, you know, you, why you're amazing, all that stuff. And um, I mean, I'm, it's, it's hard to give, I guess, like a, a specific template. But basically, the, the way, you know, what I like to tell people is it's just about building relationships. If you approach it from that point of view, it's going to be like you're going to be able to figure it out. 
there's there's not like it's not a magic science. It's not complex. It's just you helping people out, and you can do that through adding them, you know, giving them an article. You can do that from being entertaining and telling them a joke, or sending them some sort of funny cat video if it's relevant. Um, I mean, that's really what it is. And then all you use the email for is just add all the little leverage points in the funnel. So when someone signs up and they haven't bought yet, you send them emails that get them to buy. Once they've bought your first product, you send them emails that get them to buy the second product. And then once they bought the second product, you send them emails and are going to get them to buy the third product. And mixed in, in here, the whole thing is you want to have emails that are going out just specifically to build a relationship that they're not selling anything. Mm-hmm. All right, cool. So, so it's like, um, and, and do you have some sort of a golden ratio for emails which are selling versus emails which are nurturing? No, there's, there's no perfect ratio. And even the nurturing emails can still sell. Um, there's, you know, I, I'd, I'd, you know, mix it up. So like, if you really want a template, it'd be email one's a welcome email, email two and three, sort of a brand indoctrination, email four, um, give them a pitch. But I mean, really, it really depends. It honestly depends. Cause if you're selling, uh, physical products, like an e-commerce store, it's going to be very different if you're selling say an ebook and software is going to be different again, because software is going to be more, um, you know, they sign up and you want to get them to fill out their profile and you want to get them to fill out their, you know, different parts of the software. So a lot of it just depends on what you want them to do. Um, and so a lot of the content, a lot of the, the classic email marketing stuff is, is, you know, information is targeted towards people, you know, personal brands uh, selling information. But it, it honestly just depends on emails. So, you know, you can use it for everything. Cool. All right. Sounds good. So, um, are there any specific things which um, online real t- retailers or e-commerce guys, people who are selling physical products, should um, should keep in mind as they build their first autoresponders? Uh, the the main things is don't don't do the same thing every time because your, your results will just go down. Don't don't oversell. Like don't bl- basically blast people every day or every few days or every week. Don't just blast them every week with a hey, here's ten percent off. You just wear them out. Marketing is about pattern interrupts. So if you do, if you do the same thing every time, you stop interrupting that pattern. It doesn't work anymore. So, and then what you should absolutely be doing is selling. So you know, counterintuitively, most people fall on one side, you know, one extreme or the other. They either don't sell at all because they're afraid of selling, they feel guilty for selling. And there's a lot of people I know like that who, yeah, you, I mean, you can build a. I've seen people build successful businesses without like without you know going too hard on the selling, but they need someone on the team who sells. So. Email, don't be afraid to sell, but also don't, don't go overboard with it. There's a fine line. Right. Cool. Well, there's some good takeaways there um, for, for people who are getting started with their first autoresponder. Hopefully, that'll help you get started. Um, in general, what I've, what I've taken away from this is this idea that, um, you know, imagine when you're just getting people on the list, imagine it's like you're walking up to somebody in a room that you haven't met yet, and you just, you know, what's the sequence of things that you're going to talk to them about? To, to get them comfortable and to get them familiar with you. Um, and then, um, and then, yeah, if you're in the e-commerce space, I mean, what you said about having a pattern interrupt sounds, um, sounds like good advice in general, make sure that you're not just doing the same thing. There's always like something that switches it up and that, um, yeah, it gets them thinking again, gets them re-engaged with you. Re-engaged. I mean, what we can do is like, I've got two blog posts that we've just put, well, a little bit, not old, but, um, basically blog posts on Shopify that went up a few months ago, which is 7,000 words and basically explains seven different campaigns. And then there's one on Digital Marketer, which is another marketing blog. And they've got, this post is double the length. So it's basically, you can sell this as a product, I'm sure, for a couple hundred dollars. But uh, I decided to put it up there and, and free. So here's a link to that. So you, you can pull links to that. I mean, that'll have, like, that'll have just tons and tons and tons of information um, that'll sort of keep people satisfied for that. There's no way we'll be able to cover everything. Like that. And these have been shared a lot. A lot of them, both of them 
you know, thousands of people have shared these things on Facebook and Twitter and right. LinkedIn and all that. So, all right, well, yeah. we'll link we'll link to those two things um, in the in the post. And if you want to talk to John about either of those, then I'm sure that he'd be more than happy to get on the horn if you're looking to have somebody help you out with done for you services. So, um, all right. So John, now we'll just jump into the blitz round real quick. Um, this is just kind of a, you know, a 30 second round at the end that we do 30 second per question. Um, just to get a sense of how you tick on a day to day basis. Um, first question is what is the favorite habit that you have that you keep and why? Uh, the most consistent habit of the last few years has probably been meditation, some kind of breathing practice uh, every morning. There's been periods where I haven't done it, but it's just been the thing that I keep coming back to. And why? I think that more than anything else, it's just is a way to ground me and, and give me a sense of peace and sort of clear away the, the mental clutter. There's nothing that's more effective than that. What would you say is your greatest weakness as an entrepreneur? Oh, that's a good question. Probably distractibility. Probably uh, I, I, I'm the sort of guy that, uh, you know, I'll do stuff. And as soon as it gets to a point where it's sort of humming along, not even to the point where it's humming along perfectly, just where it's humming along and it seems like it might be okay, I tend to then start looking for something else to do. And so it could be with, you know, the, the, a big thing that's held me back. You know, this is my sort of analysis over the last years is, you know, starting things and, not like I'll get them, I don't know, maybe 60, 70, 80% of the way there. And, you know, like it might be a fun, like sales funnels that I've built and, you know, sent paid traffic to, but then they end up fizzling out because I don't, I don't see through the last, uh, the last stage. Like I sort of get distracted and whatever. So that would be the, yeah, that, that's probably the biggest weakness as an entrepreneur. All right. Shiny object syndrome. I've, I've heard that one a couple of times in the show so far. So, all right. What would you say is the best business advice you've ever received? I think one thing that, that's really been a core of, I can't remember who told me this or where I learned it, but one thing that's always been very big for me is like, just get started. Like just like whatever it is that you, that you're thinking about. Um, I definitely learned that from someone, this idea of like, when you've got an idea, like just say fuck it and then go and do it. Don't, don't get too caught up trying to figure out if it's going to work, if it's not going to work and all of that. Like execute basically, get really good at executing. What would you say, um, yeah, what are the, what are some of the what are the top three books that you think that uh, other bootstrapped entrepreneurs should check out? Uh, okay, so I mean, back in the day, I read Atlas Shrugged, and I love that. I haven't read that in a while though, so um, that would be worth uh, checking out. I'm trying to think, uh, eighty twenty sales and marketing is a good one. That's uh, by Perry Perry Marshall. That's some pretty pretty awesome stuff, and probably the one thing. I, you know, when I read that book, I didn't really enjoy it that much, but just the concept of, of uh, you know, I've read Getting Things Done, which is more of a book how, how to organize yourself. But what works seems to work better for me is just going, look, today's one thing is X. Like today's one thing is making this presentation and that's that. That's today. That's, that's all I'm focusing on. And I get a lot more done personally when I do it that way. And that's what that book's about. Solid. Okay. Yeah. Those are all new titles for this uh, show, which is also exciting. Normally I'll get like, oh, the four hour work week and, um, a couple other books in that vein. Rich Dad, Poor Dad is also a perennial favorite. But yep. um, all right. So this next one is um, is kind of for you. What knowledge, skills, or people do you need most right now? So if someone's listening to this podcast and thinking, ah, oh, John McIntyre, he's a pretty cool dude. Um, I'd love to reach out to him in a in a value creating kind of way. Um, how could they do that? Uh, I would love to know that. Like I said, the biggest challenge right now in this business is is how do we how do we close these clients? These like I'm looking for clients doing two million dollars in sales or more per year who aren't doing email marketing to get on the phone with me so I can sell them. 
and the challenges haven't figured out how to get those people on the phone consistently. And so, yeah, so if someone could come to me and go, look, I know, you know, I know how to do that. I've done this before or, you know, something similar, you know, that would be the, that would be, that'd be completely epic. So anybody who's out there who, who's got a good sales process, you can get in touch with John. Um, finally, if you were starting from zero today with nothing except for 1000 Australian dollars in your case in the bank and three months of living expenses paid for, what business would you go into and why? <laughs> it's funny you ask me this now. If, if I, if you gave me that today, you said a hundred thousand dollars, right? Oh, sorry. Whoops. hundred thousand is way too much. I meant just 1000. hundred thousand uh, is like, a, that's a lot of money. Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> Added uh, two extra zeros on there. <laughs> yeah. So a thousand dollars. A thousand Australian dollars. Yep. What business would I start? Um. Hmm. Probably some kind of info product, some kind of uh, product, information product. I feel like that would be the fastest way to get some sales coming in, and then you could scale up from there. Create, create some kind of course or ebook or video program and sell that. All right, and then. Um Finally, also, actually, last question. Um, are there any ideas that you can donate to our listeners? You know, if there's somebody out there who's got, um, you know, some skills, some aptitude, some, some motivation, um, are there any ideas which you see, which would you think would be interesting that someone, someone could capitalize on who's starting from zero, either in your market or in a market adjacent to yours? Um, what would you recommend? Um, what, what came to mind then when you're saying that? I don't know if this counts, but, um, just the idea of like you can focus on money and external success and doing what other people want you to do. And, and I think even that happens a lot in this, you know, four hour work where you kind of travel around all that stuff. There are people out there that don't want to travel. If you don't want to travel, don't travel. Um, and so I think the, the, this is more of, you know, more philosophical, more philosophical piece of advice. But yeah, if, if do what you want to do, don't go and try and adhere to some sort of external model of success, even if it seems like it's really cool, like traveling around or having a four hour work week business or whatever it is. Does that count? Yeah, it, it counts pretty well. I mean, I guess, I guess what I was going for a little bit more was, um, I don't know, like if you had another, you know, for, for other people who are maybe thinking about trying to build a productized service business similar to yours, what are some other productized services which you see, which, um, which could work out where you see a potential demand? Uh, I would, I would think about it this, this way. You want to like choose a clear market. So a specific customer, whether it's e-commerce store owners or, uh, software people or plumbers or whoever it is, choose a clear market, make sure it's recurring revenue. Because that, that's really where the business is, and uh, have it have you know have the make sure there's the option of building a team around it. So like you need to have the you know for it to be productized, so you can build a team. You need to have you know the same sort of clients you know you're going after. And I mean, there's plenty of this. Like you could do it with uh, you know email marketing for uh, all sorts of different businesses. Email marketing for plumbers. Email marketing for you know uh, SaaS companies. Email marketing for uh, you know Apple Store apps. Email marketing. Like there's a lot of this opportunity out there. They're not, they're not all going to work. Financial but, planners. Ooh. Real Financial estate. planners, dentists, doctors, yes. real go, estate. Go for these guys who are never going to leave. Yeah. Exactly. Cool. Okay. Well, that pretty much wraps up everything uh, from our side. Um, yeah, I think we've, we've basically covered everything. Thank you so much for being on the show today, John. Um, how can listeners best get in contact with you? Uh, the best way is to go to reengager.com and that'll give you all the information about reengager. You can scroll down to the bottom. There's a uh, sort of a contact form uh, there, a phone number, all that stuff. There's, you can also request a strategy call. There's an ROI calculator if you want to go and if you're an e-commerce store and you want to find out what sort of ROI you can expect with email marketing. There's also another website which you can go to called themcmethod.com. That's themcmethod.com and there's 130 uh, interviews like this, so you know, interviews with other marketers and, and, and sort of experts 
that you can go and listen to. They're all for free, and uh, that site has that's that. So the McMethod's more targeted towards um, you know freelancers and people uh, just get, well, not someone's just getting started, but the one man shops, whereas reengages for the companies. So check out either of those places and you'll find plenty of information. Fantastic. Okay, well, the, the show notes for this um, podcast will be under startingfromzero.co slash John dash McIntyre. Um, am I saying that right? It's J-O-H-N dash M-C-I-N-T-Y-R-E. Correct, yeah. And you can uh, find all the information about this podcast there. And um, yeah, with that being said, thank you so much for being on the show today, John. Thanks for having me, Max. And thank you, podcast listeners and self-funded founders for listening to this episode. And don't forget to tune in next week when we'll have another self-funded founder on the show sharing their journey with you. Cheers. Cheers.